0: Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. Because I love biblical storytelling and want you, my listeners, to be more aware of it, as long as the storytellers are willing to be my guest, you will get a regular offering of this art form. Biblical storytelling combines two ancient practices. The first and more ancient is storytelling. Storytelling is one of humanity's earliest art forms and it served the purposes of the cultures who developed the stories they told. Storytelling has always had an entertainment dimension, but in addition, people have told stories to teach and guide, to shape character, to explain the world and how it works, to give people their identity, and to remember, to motivate, and to celebrate. Since the 1970s, there's been an emphasis on storytelling, Not just as a cultural practice, but as an art form, with storytelling festivals arising all over the country. The second experience in the Jewish and Christian heritages is the public reading of scripture and worship. Torah reading has has occurred from the time of Moses, and it especially became central in the development of the synagogues during and after the exile. Rabbis have always combined study of Scripture with rabbinical storytelling as a means of instruction in Torah. The practice of reading Scripture publicly carried over into Christian worship and eventually developed into lectionary readings. Story forms the basis of both Jewish and Christian Scripture because in these two traditions, story comes into the service of God. Within the Christian tradition, there is an interplay between two dimensions of biblical story, the prophetic dimension and the gospel dimension. The prophetic dimension, in the light of God's holiness and justice, calls us all individually and as groups into question and into accountability for the brokenness, sinfulness, and evil that we choose to create. And make no mistake, we do choose it. The gospel dimension brings us the good news that in love, God reaches out to us, especially in Jesus, to restore, heal, reconcile, and redeem. To give us an example of this interplay, especially as it relates to current events, is my guest, Dallas Willard. In addition to being a biblical storyteller or a story evangelist, Drew is an artist getting ready to market his work an author of the book gospel pilgrimage stories a modern translation and paraphrase of gospel text and illustrations and an ordained minister in the united church of christ he was the artist and resident at the grunewald guild in washington state the fringe teller of the florida storytelling association annual festival in mount dora florida and saying mount in florida is always a strange thing and a co-creator of the Wild Goose Festival in Hot Springs, North Carolina. So welcome Drew, thank you for being with me today.
1: Hi David, thank you, thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, before you tell us biblical stories, let's begin by letting you tell your own story, your spiritual journey about how you ended up becoming a pastor and also a biblical storyteller.
1: Well, I uh, grew up in in, uh, New Jersey, and uh, in high school, uh, the late 1960s, I was very fortunate to have a youth minister who combined art with faith. And uh, I attended the, the Bethany Beach Folk Arts Festival in Delaware, where she was one of the counselors. And the theme that summer was uh, butterflies and cocoons. And uh, uh, and essentially, it was about encouraging people to come out of their cocoon, out of their shell, and to express themselves. Well, that was a very powerful experience for me. And combining art with faith has uh, continued to be an important theme for my ministry. Uh, I would say that that's uh, that's been my uh, kind of that prophetic dimension to uh, to how I understand myself as a ordained minister. Of the United Church of Christ and uh, and I found ways uh, how art can be uh, important not only in presenting the gospel but also to present the gospel in the context of interfaith uh, discussions and experiences uh, worship experiences have been very active in, in recent years with outreach to Jewish and Muslim, uh, but also Baha'i and the uh, faith uh, people, co- cooperating with other people of, of like mind and spirit. And uh, so it's it's a way of, of uh, presenting the gospel in a way that's not threatening. People can hear a story. They can't break it down because it's your family story, your uh, or tradition. And, uh, and then we get past doctrine, we get past, uh, the more, uh, uh doctrinal, uh, or legalistic ways of thinking about religion and get down to origins. And I think what we find is that there is a common spirit that arises, and especially when, when stories are told, uh, told together. And, uh, so that's, that's, that's part of why this storytelling is important biblical storytelling. In particular.
0: Okay. Well, uh, you are here to tell us stories. And unfortunately my audience, uh, one of the disadvantages of an audio podcast is that you miss out on the physical and facial, uh, expressions of storytelling, which enrich uh, the experience and, uh, on my blog spot, uh, there will be some links to, uh, some videos of Drew that you'll be able to get to see him, uh, visually, uh, to get to have that enhanced experience. But if the, um, if the, uh, popularity of audiobooks is any indication, then, uh, uh, even without the visual, uh, it'll still be a wonderful experience. Now, it, and also in, in one of your visual things, you talked about, um, uh, creating a sacred space and also the lighting of fire. <laughs> uh, how are we going to do that uh, on uh, this part?
1: Well, in, in the in the summer camp of our minds, the theater of our minds, we'll just have to imagine sitting around a fire and uh, everybody's got their cup of cocoa or whatever. Uh, in the morning here, it's uh, maybe a cup of coffee, but uh, uh, uh And the storyteller said that when you tell a story you should make a sacred space because when someone has taken the time to learn a story, it comes from a sacred space inside of them and should be received in the same way. And the storyteller said that when you tell a story you should light a fire in the hope that the meaning of your story will burn itself into the hearts of your listeners.
0: So what story are
1: you going to tell us today? <laughs> I'm going to tell the story of uh, the stilling of the storms. It's plural. From Mark 4, verse 35 to 520. It goes like this. And Jesus said to his disciples, road is late, let us cross over to the other side of the sea. So they took him aboard their boat, just as he was, and other boats went with him. Then a tempest was formed by strong winds, sending waves rolling over into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern on a cushion, exhausted. The disciples roused him, saying, Rabbi, teacher, don't you care that we are sinking? Getting up, Jesus scolded the wind and said to the sea, Silence, I say. Be silent. Wind died down, and the sea became calm again. Jesus said, Why are you so nervous? Don't you have any faith yet? But they were terrified with great fear, and said to one another, So who is this really that even the wind and the sea? Listen up to him. And they came to the other side of the sea to the land of the Gerasenes, the land of the prize. And as Jesus was getting out of the boat, out from a graveyard nearby came a man with an evil spirit, running up to confront him. This was someone who lived in the graveyard. Chains couldn't hold him back anymore. Nor was there anyone who could. Despite being frequently shackled, he would wrench them apart from his ankles. No one was strong enough to secure him. Night and day, in the tombs and the hills, he would howl. Hurt himself with rocks. Then he saw Jesus from a distance and charged towards him. Jesus said, "You evil spirit, come out of the man!" And he collapsed at Jesus' feet, groveling. "Jesus, Son of the Highest God, I beg you, do to not torture me." Jesus questioned him, What is your name?" He said, "Division, legion. For we are an army." He urgently begged Jesus, "Don't send us out of this region." Now, there was a huge herd of pigs rooting about nearby. He said to Jesus, send us to the pigs so that we can enter them. But Jesus told them to go. Well, they came out to go into the pigs. And this huge herd of pigs rushed headlong down the steep cliff into the sea. About 2,000 of them were drowned in the waters. And the swineherd saw this. They fled. They told everyone in the town, the countryside. So all the people came out to look at what had happened. And as they approached Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed with demons sitting, clothed and coherent. The division was gone, the legion was gone. But uh, they became uh, suspicious. And then the swineherds told about what they'd seen happen with the man who was possessed with demons and the pigs. So the people asked Jesus to leave their land. This is a mystery, but why was such a huge herd of pigs being raised for whom in a land where neither Jewish nor Arabic peoples then or now eat poor? As Jesus was climbing back into the boat, the man who had been possessed came up to him and said, Let me just be with you. Jesus said to him, go home to your loved ones and tell them how much the one who is God has helped you, how God has had mercy upon you. So he went home, and in time he went forth and proclaimed throughout the ten cities of the Gentiles of that region how much Jesus had done for them. Everyone, everywhere, was amazed and surprised with joy.
0: Amen. So, when you tell stories, um, how do you, how do you approach it? Uh, when I was talking, you know, my, this is the second episode that I'm doing on biblical storytelling. The first one was with, uh, Donna Marie Todd oh, and, and, uh, you know, Donna Marie, uh, talked about that for her, she tends to, uh, try to mix about 70, 30, uh, 70% actual quoting of the passage and then 30%, uh, creative addition, uh, <laughs> Oh. How about you? How, how, how do you approach?
1: Well, initially, uh, I learned how to do biblical storytelling with the Network of Biblical Storytellers International. I attended a festival gathering back in 1987, and I learned the process of telling a story. And at the time, it was using a the, the, uh, the revised standard version of the Bible. And we learned uh, the story from Mark chapter 2, about uh, the healing of the paralyzed person. And Tom Boomershine, who is the founder of the Network of Biblical Storytellers, taught an auditorium filled with with us uh, uh, in the course of an hour. Uh, And I think it was 11 verses uh, that we learned. And that was an amazing thing. The process was hearing the story, lining it out, and repeating it after the storyteller, then taking a text, looking at it, practicing on our own, and then to practice with a partner. And then uh, if you were to do a workshop, you'd invite people to stand up before the group and recite it. So that was my initial uh, encounter with learning the stories. And part of that, um, the text would be indented uh, sequentially, so there would be in other words, you would, you would begin with the first line and as the sentence would continue, you'd indent and then continue that line and do this for subsequent verses, uh, and then group them into episodes. And so that there was actually a visual way of remembering the story as well as the words. And the trick is always, of course, uh, to, uh, remember the first, the first line and then whatever the next word is. (laughs) So so that's the basic thing. Now, in the early 90s, I had some encouragement to start doing my own translations and paraphrases. So initially, uh, I just got a hold of my old uh, Greek and English lectionary, and I would go word for word, get a root word meaning, and then string it back together. these days, I use an interlinear, which is basically a shortcut, uh, but, uh, kind of limits me in some ways. Uh, but what I find is, is, uh, uh, with an interlinear where somebody has done that work of finding a root word meaning for the, for the Greek or Hebrew, for example. Then, uh, i take that word and string it back together. And then, uh, have it make sense and even and do some uh, it's a par- so it's a paraphrase essentially what, what finally is produced, and uh, there's some uh shaping or polishing of the story over time, and my goal is to get at the at the meaning to to mine for and dig down for the emotional truths that are there and and there is a sense of uh, I also have a sense of the of a of the cinematic telling of it, so you're you're creating actually um you're, you're telling a story for dramatic effect. you mine it for humor too i mean the the humor that that can be found there the dramatic truths and and I think it's what emerges still is an interpretation, it's a work of art. But it is the Gospel, according to me, and what I think is true in it and uh so so um, I guess seventy thirty is is accurate because I'm dealing with it word for word, but then I'm also creatively shaping that text as well and and based on what I dig down and find in it. Uh, I must say that one of the great, uh, lessons I learned from Lancaster Theological Seminary, which is affiliated with the United Church of Christ, was when, uh, Phyllis Tribble, feminist theologian, one of preeminent feminist theologians, a preeminent theologian, uh, came to speak to us. And I learned that, uh, inclusive language was not simply uh, gender issues, but a challenge for us to, uh, to be more eloquent in how we talk about the things of God. But also with recognizing how that there is a story between the lines. Uh, and she helped me see that. So, uh, with, the, certainly with the feminist themes, but, uh, Particularly, we could say with, especially for marginalized communities, how their story is, is written in, uh, between the lines. And, uh, the Jewish community says the Bible was written in black fire and white fire. And that's what they mean. That there's, there's a story, uh, that can, uh, that's there, but, um, it's not necessarily, uh, found on the surface. <laughs> And,
0: right, uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that before, I'll, and like uh, say between the lines uh, that comes out.
1: Yes, and uh, and I think especially uh, those with um, with the quote that was made by um, uh, John Robinson, Robinson, I think that's uh got his name correctly there, who was the pastor for the people of the Mayflower, and before they set off. The pilgrims set off for the new world. He gave them a blessing, and uh, a paraphrase of, of his words was essentially, "I've asked you to follow me no no further than you've seen me follow Christ, uh, but when you get to where you're going, uh, be ready as ready to accept uh, accept the word of God, or, or how God will will lead you." and by whatever instrument uh you, you encounter uh because I believe that there was more light to break forth from God's holy word. I believe that's a that's the direct quote. And and uh, when they got over to the New World they encountered uh they encountered a Native American who uh you know, Samoset, who said uh, uh greetings Englishman and spoke in English and uh, eventually uh, uh, led them to, to others who could help them survive after that first uh, three months through a terrible winter and uh, was able to help that community survive. I'm very proud of that story because it speaks to to how we can be open to the truth in other, other people of other faiths, of other traditions at that level and uh, that's certainly part of the uh the spiritual heritage of the United Church of Christ but i would also say of the united states of america that is part of part of what makes us uh who we are so, well <laughs>
0: One of my uh, close friends is uh, Michael Moses. He was the last one I interviewed, and uh, Michael's heritage is Jewish. Uh, but he talks about because he explores his spirituality through uh, sound and rhythm, and um, and he talks about that in uh, instrumental music. Um, you get to bring your own spirituality to that, uh, since there are no words. Uh, you get to bring your own spirituality to that, and although storytelling is words. Uh, nonetheless, it, it gets, seems to me that it gets to do the same kind of thing, that when a story is told, uh, regardless of who's telling it, I get to bring my own faith perspective and my own spirituality to the story, uh, which seems to open up the opportunity for dialogue.
1: I think we're the envelope. We can be the envelope uh, or the uh, the material by which that uh, message is presented. And, uh, and I think it brings out something in us that's, uh, uh, in a way, it's a way of using our individuality, uh, for that common, that common, uh, purpose. In other words, like, like the vo- the individual voices, uh, in a chorus, uh, singing. So we, we bring our, we bring our, our particular, um character. Um, into that story.
0: Well, you said that you wanted to um, tell this story, uh, particularly because of its connection with current events. Uh, so kind of talk us a little more about, about that. And
1: uh, Yes. Uh, well, the story of Jesus exorcising a legion of demons from a man, I think it speaks to the situation unfolding at Portland. Uh, and elsewhere throughout our, our country, uh, with militarized, uh, Department of Homeland Security forces deployed against Black Lives Matter protesters, uh, occupying a neighborhood of that city. And, and part of this, I think, is, is, uh, the demonization of, of a, a particular, uh, group, uh, the Antifa or the black rioter uh, serving as staples. uh, but that is as a distraction from systemic racism uh, of really facing that, that fuels militant law enforcement, uh, economic oppression, and general ignorance about the neglect of minorities, especially uh, regarding, especially uh, in the context of pandemic. Uh so I think it does speak to that uh there was a we we see with this story that it is in the context of a Jewish community but also the Arabic communities uh that were under oppression, so these were the local peoples under roman oppression and and that was not simply uh military military but also economic a great source of uh of this uh, of studying the era uh is uh the works of Dominic crossing and uh i think there's some really important lessons to be learned about the dynamics and the mechanisms at work in that time now i think uh these these two stories Uh, Initially, when I was at Lancaster Theological Seminary, I uh, came across an excellent resource called the Synoptic Gospels, in which all four Gospels were placed in columns side by side so you could see how they related to each other in terms of uh, phrases, uh, where Mark is associated with Matthew and Luke, John seems to have had an independent source. Uh, but nevertheless, still touches on uh, similar uh, events and themes and And then that book also shows links, and they can be different from gospel to gospel. but it does show you what stories of preceiver follow uh Sunday to Sunday in in worship, you'd hear a, a story, and it would be without a context, but with the synoptic gospel, I was able to see connections. And so uh this was one of those first uh sets of stories that I saw as being connected and and uh so together they are the stilling of the storms and they demonstrate the power of of God uh, the first story in stilling a storm of of uh power over the natural world the second story uh power over the uh, world of human nature, the uh, interior world of our consciousness. But I've since added a third uh, dimension. uh, Because you're a preacher, we always
0: have three points. (laughs) (laughs) The third point
1: is uh, the the world of commerce, which is a polite way of talking about politics. And uh, Ched Myers is... And I'm still working my way through this book, but it's called Uh Binding the Strongman. And basically he's done an analysis of the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, as a political document. That it, it spoke to the the dynamics and mechanisms of the time. Now when I say mechanisms, uh that's a specific term and I'm thinking of the work of René Girard. Now his stuff is pretty pretty complex, pretty dense, but the best example I think of his work is uh, a book called Scapegoat. And that gets right to the point that uh, he talks about how in society we are competing. We're all competing sim- for the same resources. And when that breaks out into violence, how people resolve that—it's—it's it's an anthropological mechanism that he calls the single victim mechanism, where the, the crisis is uh, is going out of control, so someone has to become a scapegoat, and so unconsciously people will look for the most vulnerable person or group. Cherry pick facts, build a narrative, and then punish or expel that group or kill them and he He used the example of uh of an of uh a of an essay or report of a medieval um person and authority uh, at the time who described the response to a uh, to a plague where it was blamed on the Jewish community and they were, they were attacked because of it. They, they were, it was believed that they, uh, because there were people familiar with herbs and, and this kind of thing, healing medicines, that they had put something in the water and people were poisoned. And so based on that, that narrative, that they were punished and expelled. Uh, the, the notion of, of, uh, of redemptive violence it's called the myth of redemptive violence it's another another concept uh describes this this mechanism of things that we do subconsciously uh and that uh that it's actually uh he relates that to uh to myth he says that the civilizations uh, this is uh, René Girard civilizations are built on this particular myth, and sadly, it conforms to uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, uh, myth of the hero's journey. And uh, Walter Wink picks it up by saying that uh, the hero's journey uh, that corresponds to uh, to what what is called the myth of redemptive violence, and in, a, in essence, it's it's uh, the stories we grew up with, from Popeye cartoons to westerns and Star Wars, and just the summary goes like this: uh, Bluto comes to town, terrorizes everybody, runs off with uh, captures Olive Oil, and Popeye the stand-up guy tries to rescue her. Boom! He gets clobbered by Bluto, and, uh, and then the spinach miraculously shows up. Da, 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 da. He gets his uh, his strength, he clobbers Bluto, rescues Olive Oil, and they all live happily ever after Till next week's episode.
0: You're telling your age when you talk about Popeye. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. But, but we, we know this story, right? It,
1: uh, it relates to, to uh, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, uh, that whole theme. But uh, Walter Wink talks about a counterman. And the counter myth actually is, can be found in the Beatitudes. That the Beatitudes is not simply a list. It begins and ends with the kingdom. It begins and ends with beloved community, to use an inclusive term. And it actually is a storyline. It goes from victimization to empowerment and then back to being persecuted again. But that cycle starts over, so that is a never-ending story too. But it's one that can't be compromised, and and the hero's myth can be compromised. It's compromised by by uh, when someone thinks that they are acting out of uh, some righteous effort to set things right, and then you have Dylan Roof walking into a Bible study and murdering nine people thinking he's saving white civilization. Now, he is subconsciously thinking he's doing the right thing. But we know that there are people who know this about us and use this against us for their agenda, their purposes. And so that's why, that's what these stories have to tell us. And so uh, the two stories that I told today are actually part of a broader set of stories from the Gospel of Mark from chapter 2 uh, to chapter 5. And it's uh a day in the life of Jesus, and it just happens to begin as a Sabbath, Sabbath day. And Jesus' initial encounter with um with religious experts is uh they're they're challenging him about. Allowing his disciples to gather grain on the Sabbath. And that just sets the stage for this uh, kind of animosity that will eventually play out in Jerusalem. But, uh, much of that set of stories is about, uh, the heart and in cultivating, um, Cultivating a heart that's capable of making making loving choices. Uh, to, to touch on, the, uh, again, the relevance of this set of stories and, and uh, contemporary issues, there is a book uh, by Howard Thurman who uh, wrote uh, Jesus and the Disinherited. This book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And that was a book that Martin Luther King carried around with him. And there are three sections to that that book. The first is he deals with how Jesus was a peasant living in an oppressed society. That uh, uh, he was in contrast with Paul, who was a citizen of Rome and used that, that allowed him to venture into throughout the Roman Empire. But, uh, but Jesus was, was an oppressed peasant of at that, of that time. Then the second part of that book talks about how, uh, what, what Thurman calls the three hounds of hell, which is fear, deception, and hatred. And that fear, deception, and hatred works on both oppressor and oppressed. And and so we see uh, the the oppressed community, uh, those those individuals that act out in criminality and violence, that's the scary mask for that for that uh, community. But then they're met with with the police who act as an interface for the wider society. But then there's criminality that they exercise under the under the protection of the law. And so you see this, this clash, and that is certainly what's happening in Portland. Now, what, uh, what the third part of Thurman's book speaks about is, is the role of love as a political strategy. He doesn't use the term beloved community, but that comes from the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King spoke about this. And to me, it models uh a social reality that is possible and essentially is a literal realization of the prayer that we pray that god's will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven and so as a an achievable social reality so that is the goal and so then we hear of things like uh, a wall of moms That steps in between the armed protester, the the armed, I should say, the armed uh, police, uh, the militarized police, and the outraged protesters. So that's a pretty remarkable thing. And now I guess we got dads with lawn lawn blower, uh, leaf blowers uh, stepping (laughs) up too. Yeah. But, you know, that just might be what it takes to save us, is that there's something about, uh, the, um, the power of a person's spirit, what Gandhi talked about, uh, truth force. So, uh, at what point do we go to the streets to, to make changes, to make voices, to hear the voices that need to be heard? Uh, particularly in this uh, in this uh, climate uh, by the way, just another another uh, story set of stories uh what happens after uh, this event uh, is later on Jesus will uh, he will get the news that John the Baptist has been killed and so that's the turning point of the gospel of Mark. And so at this point, he begins to think about it's like Martin Luther King learned of John Kennedy's uh, assassination. He said, "Uh, they're going to do that to me. So I'm thinking that was happening for Jesus. And so he's preparing his disciples for uh, what he knows will come. And at one point, he's in uh, the northern regions. Of, of Israel, and uh, a woman comes to him asking for help for her daughter who has an evil spirit uh, that's plaguing her. And she's a Syro Phoenician, a Greek of Syro Phoenician ancestry. Well, that was, uh, there was a very bitter uh, racial memory about uh, the Greeks. And what they what they tried to do essentially was to eradicate Judaism, the, the Jewish uh, practice of Judaism in in Israel, in, in Judea, and and they were eventually overcome uh, by the Hasmoneans and, uh, and the, the Maccabees, and uh, and so there was a, a very strong antagonism with uh, against them. Hatred. And Jesus, when he's confronted with this woman, he says, uh, why should I help you? Uh, I'm here to, to take care of, to feed the children of Israel. It's not right to give the children's food to the dogs. Yes, that's essentially what he says. <laughs> the woman comes back to him and says, yea, Lord, but those children are waiting under the table for the infant scraps. And it's like, Jesus is like, whoa, (laughs) he he hears this. And he had just talked to his disciples about what defiles someone. and It's the stuff that comes out of our hearts. So Jesus models the ability to change your attitude, change your heart. And he tells this woman, your daughter is freed from that that demon continue in your way. (laughs) And and I think think, uh, uh, that what happens then, what follows is the story of how Jesus opens someone, he he, he encounters someone who is deaf and can't speak. And so he has this elaborate thing of sticking his fingers in the air, getting the guy to spit, puts his fingers on the guy's tongue, and then he says, Ephatha. Which means be open, and the man is healed, and so it also symbolizes an openness that Jesus begins to demonstrate, and and at one point he is still in uh, Gentile territory, and that's people who are not Jewish. That means Greco-Roman people, so not the Arabic people, but but Greco-Roman people, and that's where he encounters this huge crowd of people who seek him out in the region now called the Ten Cities, or that was called the Decapolis. And that was the man who had been healed from the region of demons, had been speaking in that region. So so the connection now is is that Jesus had been opened up uh to minister to bring his message to the Greco-Roman people, the capitalists, thanks to the initial work of that man who said uh, uh, he spoke to everyone everywhere, and they were amazed and surprised with joy. Uh, So there's some marvelous things that we can see, unexpected, these connections. And uh, when the people asked Jesus to leave their land, after this man had been healed, Jesus had taken away their scapegoat. He had taken away the person that they could point to as a problem when the people of that community were in collusion with the Roman authorities. That herd of pigs was not for the local people. It was to support the occupying the occupying armies of Rome. And we can look at that. Uh, that context and say uh, that this implied that secular Gentile society's complicity with corporate swineherder greed, and how is that how is that mechanism playing out? So so we're talking about what's happening on the streets of Portland and soon in Chicago and elsewhere, but it's it's still taking our our eyes off of what Wall Street is doing of what the the corporate giants are doing and people are beginning not just to look at things but to see them to see these things and and uh, I think what's refreshing it's like Phyllis Tribble showed me is that there and what John Robinson spoke about is that there is more light to break forth from these stories and and David, it's like, like you said at the outset, that, that the use of story tells us where we came from. It tells us who we are, but also guides us for where we go from here. And, and, uh, and what I think the younger people can find is that as they are going through these challenges, and I think our, this next generation is really Doing some amazing things. Uh, we've got some amazing leaders that are are stepping up. And that, that there's this, there's the individual story of our lives, but we're not alone. We can look at these mega stories for, for guidance and not to fit our reality into that box but rather to say that there are lessons to be learned, there are truths to be told, that we don't worry about uh, uh, how Jesus walked on the water, but we ask ourselves, why is that story in him? That he fed the 5,000, well, what does that signify? Later on, he would feed 4,000. Uh, and what did that signify? Uh, so, so there are ways that, uh, there, there are many levels in which we can understand these stories. They've got a number of things they can teach us. Uh, we don't have to fit, you know, we don't have to say, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're in the end times and uh, expect certain things to happen in a certain way. Uh, but rather to say, we're always in the end times. We're always being challenged by anti christian Forces or whatever that may mean for people in other other communities throughout the world, and what is, how do we respond to it? And one of my favorite stories is is the uh, Jesus apocalypse. It's a mini apo- a mini revelation that he tells, and essentially the message is this: regardless of what the kings and the and the captains do that what's up to us is to maintain a heart that's open. The uh, one whose love endures to the end will be saved, and that that is the good news. It must be proclaimed everywhere in the inhabited world as a witness against extremisms, and then the end will truly be the beginning.
0: Well, Drew, thank you uh, for being with me today. Uh, thank you for sharing your stories. <laughs> oh, thank uh, you, David. You are available uh, for storytelling. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And I'll, of course, I'll have the the links that you've given me on my blog spot. But uh, kind of tell us a little bit about how to get in touch with you and what you can do. Okay,
1: uh, I do have a website um, uh, www.gospelpilgrimstoryteller dot com, and uh, uh, where there is a description of um, of what my uh, programs are, and uh, that also includes art uh, I've also uh, have done some things uh, some original art, uh, both uh, in terms of um, illustration at, uh, and also in presenting a uh, word, word and image. so uh, I'm available to uh, for special projects or, or, uh, or uh, the project I've already done. With the uh, with the pandemic, uh, makes it uh, actually can reach more people uh, by zooming or uh, squadcast or is that what this is? Uh, yeah,
0: squadcast. This is yeah. squadcast.
1: <laughs> so there's a number of ways uh, that I can be uh, invited to to dissipate, and whether that's with worship, worship experience, or simply to tell a story, uh, or to do art, to be commissioned for art. Uh, I also have a uh, have a PayPal a tip jar slash uh gospel And so uh, uh donations uh accepted
0: <laughs> I understand that I have one of those too <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh,
0: so well,
1: I wanna, well uh, let me thank you David for first of all valuing uh, the role of of artists and storytellers. And I think when we look at the origins of, of faith communities, how the artist played a very significant role in, in uh, shaping the prophet's, uh, message. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, we're being challenged now, but it's also bringing forth, uh, the, the greater the evil, the greater the good that will arise to overcome it. I think that's, we're seeing it. And uh, I just hope that people see that and continue, that they take hope uh, with what what can yet be.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, blessings on what you do. Thank Uh, you. And and like I say, I hope uh, we'll have you on again sometime to tell some more stories. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. All right. Well, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project. You can purchase the album and learn more about the Worship Project by going to the website theportersgate.com. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel, Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and, hopefully, to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support blessings